1: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Change Physician Podcast. As your host, Dr. Kevin Kukara, with my balls co-host, Dr. Melissa Cady, and today's guest, Dr. Bill Lear. Dr. Bill Lear is a Mohs surgeon who practices in the state of Oregon um, with a fascinating story that we're, we'll be delving into because he actually started his medical career in Canada. So, Bill, great to have you on the show.
2: Great, great to be here. Thank you, guys
1: and i do have to do one disclosure you know they all do those financial disclosures and bill is actually my next door neighbor so this was a pretty easy one <laughs> to do but that yeah. doesn't buy us in any way shape or form because it is still an amazing uh amazing right. story. So, um all right well you like to always start here on why you actually went into medicine and specifically for you because you've had sort of a complicated um i'm not gonna say torturous career path but it's definitely have some turns and twists in here so why did you go into medicine what you're kind of a first initial reasons to do this
2: yeah well i was um you know i was a real science nerd um like in junior high and high school uh you know i taught coding to kids and and actually when i was in my last two years of high school i somehow weaseled my way into a molecular biology position and was doing like piece like uh, molecular biology of the renin angiotensin system and um i mean i just love that stuff i like i love science um but when i was 16 my younger sister was born and she had a coarctation of the aorta mm. and i remember uh, my parents bringing her home um and she wouldn't feed and her lips started turning blue and So she needed cardiac surgery when she was like, I don't know, seven to 10 days old. And, um, and it was a, it was a success. And, um, and it was really impactful on me to see the impact that science and somebody's hands could have on life. Um, and so for me, that was really it. It was like a combination of like really, a. A real love of of science um, and having an impact with science. So, so when that, you... that would have been that would have been the reason. And so when I was like a senior in high school, um, you know, doing all this molecular biology, which was at the Heart Institute, I did high. School. So I'm from Newfoundland, um, which is another, which is probably another podcast story. Um, but then I finished high school in Ottawa and and worked at the heart institute and then went to university of ottawa knowing i you know the very first day of university of ottawa i knew i was there to go to medical school
1: um and just for the for the non-canadians who don't kind of know that's a big distance between the two
2: it is yeah yeah newfoundland is a rock in the middle of the north atlantic they call it the rock um, for Canadians who listen to this, they'll probably have Newfie jokes that they associate with Newfoundlanders. Uh, they call us, we're called Newfies. Um, and it's a harsh, it's a harsh, it can be a harsh place to live. Like in the winter, you get storms. Um, and, um, but, you know, it, it, but in retrospect, it was a great place to live. It was very unique. My parents never had, my grandparents, I should say, um, one of my set of grandparents never had indoor plumbing well they had an outhouse cantilevered on the edge of the cliff in the north atlantic so when you went to the outhouse and you looked down it was the north atlantic 100 feet down so it was a it was an interesting it was an interesting place to um you know to grow up and you know to see what my how my dad grew up and and then you know i guess the other thing about medicine was i thought about you know my dad became a molecular sorry became a marine biologist and my uncle became a doctor and I thought like, wow, like they grew up in in this house with a cantilevered outhouse. And, and I thought like, wow, my dad made such a jump and my uncle made such a jump. And that was the other thing for me too, is like my dad made such a jump. Do you know what I mean? Like in terms of wealth and prosperity from his own parents who did their best, you know, in a very harsh climate and a tough area. And I thought like, wow, like. That was such a jump and it always stuck with me that my dad made a big jump. And I'm not saying like I wanted to make a big jump, but it certainly was something in the back of my mind to, if I, to make a proportional jump from my own parents. And so I, I always had this, I always, always had this like internal stress, if you will, if, this internal motivation really to make a proportional jump.
0: When, when was that awareness of that wanting to make that jump?
2: Oh, high school, junior high. Junior high, probably. I mean, junior high. I would come home in junior high, and I would study two or three hours a night to to succeed. And you know, I'm no genius. You know, I'm just like um, I tell I I train fellows uh, in my practice, and the first thing I tell them is like I'm no genius. I'm just somebody who works hard. Yeah. You know, and that's that's really like if I was to have one one act, like character attribute, it's perseverance and just dogged perseverance and so anyway that's 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 Newfoundland and then yeah my dad took a job in Ottawa which was very fortuitous for me because there was a lot more opportunity in Ottawa Um, and so that's how I finished high school in Ottawa.
1: Wow I mean there's so much there we could talk about but but we have you know I want to cover at least your story and then we can get back because that there was an important piece there that 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 I'm gonna highlight in the future. But, um, so now you're starting medical school. So it was it was straight pre-med track for you? You were again, kind of like- Yeah, pre-med,
2: I mean, I did a full biochemistry degree. I actually got into medical school out of, after three years of under, of so in Canada, they call it undergrad, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, three years of college, three, year, three years at University of Ottawa, I got into medical school, but I actually stayed for a fourth year to do more molecular biology stuff because I had, some unfinished business in that and uh, I was really deep into it you know the renin angiotensin system and looking at you know renin activity in the heart and I was really into qRT-PCR which is quantitative reverse transcriptase PCR and um it was like a big part of my life and um, um and so yeah I got into medical school but deferred for a year to to do some more research and then um yeah went to University of Toronto for medical school.
1: <laughs> well, let's just dive right in. And so medical school, did it meet your expectations or was
2: no. there? <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, the first week of medical school, I mean, I was just hit like a ton of bricks. Like I was like a, you know, a new fee in Toronto. You know, half the people in my class, the parents were doctors. Like, you know, there's a lot of wealth there. And that was, that was, that was a lot for me to take in too. you know, like I remember an orientation week we had people who had summered in, in in Morocco and it's the first time i had ever heard the word summer used as a verb um and um and you know i showed up with like you know levi's jeans and a cheap shirt and there's people driving bmw's and 80,000 dollar sports cars and So that was the first thing was that that was a real, that was a lot to take in. And then I had come from, you know, I loved science. I loved coding. um, I loved physics and and, uh, you know, molecular biology. You don't have to memorize anything, which I loved. And then the first we started at University of Toronto with anatomy and it was just anatomy every day. From 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. In the morning, it was lectures in the afternoon, it was dissection. And so they really wanted you to get anatomy down cold right away. So it was like, it's called structure and function. And it was just, it was just an absolute tirade of memorization. You know, where's this nerve? Where's this muscle? Where's this bone? How many bones? What are the shapes? And, and you know, I mean, you know, everybody to me, it was mind numbing. It was just absolutely mind numbingly boring it was the antithesis of molecular biology and, and physics and things that I loved about science. You know, to me, it was almost like a bait and switch. Like I went into medicine thinking it was going to be science and medicine is not science.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I mean, there's science in it, but it's not science. Like I had come to know and, and love science. And so it was, it was very um, it was a, you know, I came out of like a, a pre-med program where I was, I mean, I was the gold medalist, I was the star, I had, I was publishing, I had four paper, I had four molecular biology papers before I went to medical school. <laughs> and, um, and I get to medical school and I'm really just average, you know, cause I'm not a great memorizer and I've always known I'm not a great memorizer. And it's the volume of memorization. It's just, I mean, every day just like memorize, 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 memorize. And there's no understanding, there's no kind of like trying to understand concepts, at least where I went to medical school, it was all just memorize, memorize, memorize. And that was, you know, that was a real ego blow, you know, when, you know, you go from being the top student and doing things that you're good at to being a mediocre student doing things you're not that good at, and you don't really enjoy, you don't really, I didn't really enjoy memorizing stuff. Um, <clears throat> so, so that was a pretty rough, that was a pretty rough transition, I would say, for me going to medical school. Truth be told, a few months, a couple of months in, I actually went to University of Toronto Law School, and I talked to the dean of the law school, and I said, you know, I don't know if this is for me. Like, and he just he told me he's like, you know, you should just you should just stick it out for for the first year, and then you know just see. And I mean, I was just grasping. I thought of like doing engineering or going to business school or whatever else it was just, it was a, it was a tough, I would say it was, it was a pretty tough year for me.
0: So would you say that conversations, what kept you there that full year?
2: Yeah, I would say that was, that was part of it um, is to just, you know, just stick, I had made this decision to do this and I thought, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to stick it out and just, um, you know, make the best of it. For the last half of the first year of medical school, the last, the second, the first semester ended right before Christmas. And luckily the second semester, the second part of the first semester was cardiovascular sciences. And I was like a master. I mean, I had worked at the heart Institute for like six years by that point. And so, but they failed half the class right before Christmas. Now, I was not in the failing half of the class, um, but I remember people going home devastated after that because uh, luckily that, that part was more concept and, you know, do you understand cardiac physiology? And it was like, you know, drinking from a fire hose for those, I remember what, four to six weeks of that course. And so I did go home. For, I went home at Christmas um, feeling better about myself like okay there is a part of medicine where like I belong there's it's not just mindless memory of of, an, of anatomical structures there is some concepts and my background is somewhat helpful so uh, you know i like half my class that went home and had failed that that uh, part of the course I went home feeling pretty good about myself so that that was helpful and and also then you know Canada it's like the dead of winter then then it was spring and then I also got the the summer after first year I went back to the heart institute where I had a a really good um uh, scholarship um like I got a grant to do my research that summer and so I had like that to look forward to um so yeah that kind of got me through first first year
0: yeah how was the rest of medical school um, I would say
2: second year was better. Second year, I met my wife, Jen, who Kevin knows well. And um, and so I honestly, I would say for the, so in Canada, I don't know if it's down here, but Canada, the first two years of medical school are all book learning with some clinical and then third and fourth year is all clerkship, like clinical. Um, and so second year, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I, I attended, all the lectures, or I mean, I don't know if I attended 50% of the lectures, but I just, I just learned the game. Like all they want me to do is memorize this stuff. So what I would do is I had parallel tracks. I would read and inquire, like, what do I need to know about anemia? What do I need to know about osteoporosis? What do I need to know about things? And I would ask it in very Socratic ways. Like, in very basic ways, and then I did my own reading. And in parallel to that, I'd the minutiae that I knew they wanted me to regurgitate on the exam. Mm-hmm. And I knew going to lecture wasn't going to help me with either of those tracks. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would search out whatever resource, like if we were doing endocrinology, I would read whatever I needed to read on endocrinology, and I'd memorize the notes. But I knew that going by the, this time I had figured out Going to lecture was just them regurgitating the power at the time. It wasn't PowerPoint. I don't know what it was, but regurgitating the notes that they want you to memorize, but I had the notes I needed to memorize. My time was better spent learning the concepts behind what they were asking us to memorize. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so second year for me was a lot of spending time with Jen and um, and doing that, which at times felt odd. Like, I mean, there was like weeks where I hardly went to class. But I was I was doing well. Um, and it all paid off for me though in it, it clerkship really it paid off. And so I went to in clerkship. Um, there was rotations where people who had much better much better marks than I had weren't so good in the clinic. But I had spent the first year or two, mostly my second year really focused on what are we talking about? Like when people say anemia, why are you anemic? What is and I, and yeah, I didn't I hadn't memorized as much of the minutia, but I knew the gist mm-hmm. and and really knowing the gist helped me. And so in clerkship, that's where I really started to. To shine and, and do well, um, interesting little anecdote here is When I was in second year medical school, Jen and I started a web business (laughs) called CyberPage and it was cyberpage.com. And so CyberPage was the idea behind it was we went to businesses around colleges. So around like University of Toronto, we went to businesses like pizza places and ice cream shops and we would sell them a package where I, I and Jen designed their website and we then marketed it to university students like on the campuses. And so you would get coupons and stuff through it. And so I had like this briefcase, like this nerdy hard briefcase and I'd go around to the businesses and I had these laminated sheets. This was like 1995, 96. And I had like Netscape or whatever, navigate, you know, like whatever the browsers were at the time, Alta Vista. And so I would go and I would say, okay, there's this thing called the World Wide Web or the internet. And you know, it's something that you might wanna be on. And I've, half of it was just me educating them about the internet. And then I'd be like, okay, like for, is there a $100 package, is a $200 package? Anyway, and so Jen and I ran that, and that actually became profitable. This is what I was doing on my parallel track while I was in medical school. Um, and then, but then at the beginning of third year, Jen had torn her ACL. And I was starting clerkship, and we had a, a decision to make: like either I, you know, I mean, you can't. Well, I went to medical school. Clerkship was they gave you that pager, and then it's on, right? I mean, you can't be dabbling in other things. And so, anyway, we we stopped CyberPage, page, which is now called Facebook, I think. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I got a question though for your second year experience, and this—I don't want to derail a little bit—but you, you talked about learning to learn, and Socratic questioning. Mm -hmm. Those are advanced, like learning techniques. Where did you learn those? Molecular biology. Did they teach that? I mean, did you were they teaching you in that style, or did you just pick it up? Uh, I picked it.
2: So there's an interesting. So when I was. It goes back to grade six for me, I think like one, of, I think one of the defining points of my life was when I was in grade six. And so my parents got me a Coco, a color computer. It was a Radio Shack computer. And when you turned on that computer, there was a blinking cursor because it used the programming language and I wanted to play video games. And that's what I had was a color computer. I had a few games for it, but I really wanted to learn to program video games. And so I taught myself trigonometry, because as you know, like if you're going to program games, it involves vectors and things like that. And every vector involves trigonometry, right? If you're going to plot out where the dot is, you need to learn trigonometry. So I remember taking my sister's trigonometry. My sister's four years older than I am. I took her trigonometry books and I taught myself trigonometry. And so from an early age, I I guess I always understood. And this is like with my kids now. I have a six and a nine year old like I I truly believe that anything you learn, you've taught yourself. Because that's really for me, like I learned to code myself. Nobody taught me to code. I didn't learn to code in school. I taught myself how to code, you know, like molecular biology. You know, I'll tell you a story of molecular biology. I was at the Heart Institute and they thought, you're in high school. What, what do you know about molecular biology? And so for the first two weeks, they had me read safety manuals. And they are just like, put me in the corner with the safety manuals. And so I went up to my supervisor, who's, whose name was uh, Papo Boer, D- Dutch guy. A Bunch of Dutch people worked at the Heart Institute. He was a, mo- he was a Dutch molecular biologist. And um, and I said, Dr. Boer, like, I don't want to read these manuals. Like I'm here to do molecular biology. like you know, there must be some project that you can you can get me involved with. And he said, okay, you want to do a project? I'm trying to clone this stretch of DNA and here's the plasmid that I'm using. Here's the restriction enzymes. This is technical, but I'm just, to get to the point, here's the restriction enzymes you have that you could do it. Go home and figure out how you would get that stretch of DNA into that plasmid using these enzymes in as few steps as possible. So I go home, I have, Um, like there's like this cookbook, the Cold Spring Harbor, like this cookbook of molecular biology. I go home, I have that. I have a couple of other things that he gave me and I come back and in two steps, I had figured out how to do it. And that's a big deal because it takes a couple of days because you've got to put the plasmid in and everything. And he's like, whoa, like that's really good. And, but it was self-taught, you know, he gave me some tools and then I, I taught myself and so i guess from like an early age i i i don't have i mean i guess i do i kind of have a little bit of a disdain for formal education i know that i have to do it but i know that really when it comes right down to it you know you teach yourself and that's why i have a problem to 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 to, to, to go ahead a little bit like ACGME right now they come in and they do inspections for my fellowship and i remember the first time i talked to an acg inspector he said who leads Lectures and I said, the residents lead the lecture, and he said, That's the wrong answer. 80% of lectures should be led by faculty, and I said, That makes no sense. These are 30 year old adults. Mm -hmm. It It is a travesty that I would lead the lecture. Learning needs to come from within them, and if I'm spoon feeding them, that's like not even learning and it really i really got it i mean i really had it out with this guy but he's like well you have your opinion and the acgme has their opinion and the acgme is the opinion that matters and i just have a fundamental problem with that i mean i think middle school children learning comes from within and to be spoon fed i mean it just goes nowhere you know and that but i mean you know I've told you how I learned in second year medical school and obviously it works for some people. Um, but it doesn't work for me. You know, for me, it kind of needs to be something that comes from within. And, and that coding thing for me was it's the first time I had ever really learned something to a deep level. And actually I got jobs teaching coding to like fifth grade kids and stuff. And it was because I taught myself coding. And, and so it was very powerful for me, that paradigm of teach
1: yourself. You're God. killing me because there's so much stuff to talk about. Like <laughs> just telling me,
0: i like, writing notes
1: going, Oh my God, there's so much to talk about, but we got to keep going. Um, because we have a lot of stuff else to cover. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so much we want to delve into there, but we're not going to now you're in medical school. You, you have, gone into clerkships with the learning how to learn and, and being able to apply concepts and learning kind of the, the what and whys of things. Um, so when it comes to residency, I'm going to assume that Canada also parallels the US mm-hmm. in that way as well, because we do the first two years of clinical first then two, the third and fourth years are, are um, your clerkships yeah. and then residency match. So mm-hmm. so how did how does that approach for you? And then what was your specialty and why did you choose it? Because that obviously relates to now.
2: So for me and Jen and I had this like big conversation about this at our dining room table because I was thinking like oh like maybe so in Canada like to be a cardiologist I would have done internal medicine for three to four years and then a cardiology for three to four years and then they often do like interventional fellowship or whatever, um, but in Canada if you do primary care you can re-enter training so in canada primary care is two years
0: Hmm.
2: not three so so i knew that so like if you do two years you could go back and retrain whereby if i did internal medicine that's it i mean that's your training and you're done and also i was still had this like i'm not i wasn't totally sure about medicine i just wasn't totally sure it was it was for me and so i decided to do family medicine, which is primary care in Canada. And so I matched into primary care in McMaster. And McMaster was just like the perfect place for me. So McMaster University, if you don't know, is basically the birthplace of problem based learning in medicine. And it started in the early 70s there Harvard later adopted problem based learning. Now people know problem based learning is good even for like elementary children. And And McMaster was a very like um, open-minded, kind of like why do things work, very Socratic, very unlike the regimented way of University of Toronto, at least the way it was when I was there. Um, And it was just a great environment for me. So I really enjoyed my primary care years at McMaster. You know, I mean like Gore Guyatt and those guys, they wrote the book on evidence-based medicine um, which I also have thoughts on now, but but um but anyway, they really were outside the box thinkers, which really was great for me, open-minded thinkers, very collegial environment. So I had a really I had a really great time um in primary care. I knew I was doing primary care to do emergency medicine, by the way. I knew that if I was gonna practice medicine, it was gonna be ER, like I loved ER when I was a clerk, because there was just so much, you never knew what was coming in. And you were always thinking, it was always on the fly. And that's what I didn't like about cardiology, is I remember, I love cardiology research, but cardiology rounds, they would have these like index cards and like which coronary is d- diseased and what in like, and then it was all this like trials, like, oh, like what did this child say about that? It wasn't like ER where it's like, Somebody's coming in. What am I going to do? I got to think from first principles. I have to think, I have to think, I don't have to just regurgitate the latest, you know, ARB trial or whatever, you know, like in, in, in so cardiology wasn't research. Cardiology was great. Clinical cardiology part probably wasn't going to be for me. Um, and so anyway, I had a great time, um, at McMaster. It was a great place. Um, um, And so then I did, um, I did ER and I had done some derm in, in residency. And actually the last year of medical school, I did derm and did really well in, in derm. And I remember thinking like, whoa, like derm is so competitive. I mean, it's like crazy in Canada. They train like, I don't know, like 15 derms a year in Canada. It's like unbelievable. And. And I remember thinking like, oh, why hadn't I discovered this sooner? You know, because the other thing was I learned is like, I don't really like staying up at night. Yeah, I don't really like being awake all night. And, um, you know, some people probably do. It's And maybe nobody likes it. I don't know. <laughs> but for me, it's like, I don't like staying awake all night. Um, I feel really terrible the next day. And, and so... And I thought, like with Durham, it's like, oh, like they don't stay up all night at all, you know? But anyway, um, so then I, I practiced ER in Toronto. So, did um,
1: you interrupt you real quick? So, you, yeah. you did the two years of primary care at McMaster. And then did yeah. you track in and just start doing like practice in emergency? Medicine? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Now in Canada, you probably do a third year an EM, but back then, mm, most people didn't. You just went straight into the ER. Mm. Yeah. And so that, that went well for me. I mean, I was, I mean, I think I was a good ER doc, like, you know, um, um, I worked a lot. Um, I worked 22 nights a month, mm. um, like 12 hour shifts, single covered ER. There was nights I'd see a hundred, 120 people. Wow. Um, And so I worked ER from 2000 until I went back in 2004, mostly at Toronto hospitals, like Toronto East General, uh, St. Henry, like all over GTA. I worked, there was a year I worked in London, Ontario because Jen was going to school there. Um, So I did, I mean, I did, I was like full on ER. I mean, I was like doing it every day. And the ERs I worked, like, the specialists didn't come in. I mean, I did chest tubes. I reduced Colley's fractures. I did all my own lacs. Um, you know, intubated tons of people. Um, I mean, it was full on. It was full on where I was doing it. I mean, I remember I had a friend who's a plastic surgeon. I won't name the hospital, and he was a junior plastic surgeon. And the and the senior plastic surgeons told him, you know, don't if you get an ER page, you don't go to the ER because we have trained the ER that they handle everything. (laughs) I once had when I was an ER doc, I once had, I mean, I have a lot of stories, but I once had a husband who threw get like some kind of flammable liquid on his wife and then lit her on fire. And then he got burned in the process came in, she he dumped her off at the ER and then he he had to come in. I mean, I'll never forget this. And then she came down the hall and all I heard was somebody moaning, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And she was black, just black. All the clothes was burned, skin is falling off, walking in. So we bring her in, we resuscitate her. And this is like in like the middle of winter in Toronto. And he comes in, he's got inhalation damage. We intubate him. And um, she's got inhalation damage. And I mean, they're just filling up with fluid. And I'll never forget, I mean, I can like see this, right? and so they're in phase one and two of like critical area and s- snowing it's like a snowstorm right and so we didn't have a burn unit in our hospital so i'm resuscitating them but in the meantime i got a whole er i mean i got these two people i got a full er i mean i got like chest pain and belly pain and lax and fractures and everything so i'm managing these people i'm managing an er and so the burn unit's full at Sunnybrook, which is like the main Toronto burn unit. So these people are gonna to have to get shipped out to London, which means a helicopter. And so this is gonna take hours for them to get shipped out. And so I'm talking, so we had critical. So critical is who you called if you needed people to be transported. So I call critical and they said, oh, you're gonna need your plastic surgeon to manage these people. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) Can you call them? And so, (laughs) and so I call the plastic surgeon, he picks up the phone, and I describe and he's like, hold on one minute, I don't do burns. Click. Hmm. It was rough. I mean, it was like hand to hand combat, working, you know, Canadian, when people talk about Canadian healthcare in America, it's like, It's not as bad as the Republicans say and not as good as the Democrats say. It's like, it's a little, you know, it's a little in the middle. I mean, and there's no such thing as Canadian healthcare, of course. Every province has its own healthcare system. So healthcare in Ontario is different than healthcare in DC. And furthermore, like it depends on the density of doctors. Like if you're in downtown Toronto, you are getting excellent quality care from world-class people with not much wait time. If you're in like rural... Like Saskatchewan, that's a different deal. You know. So, you know, there's no such thing as Canadian healthcare. And, you know, and even though I just described an event that was not great, overall, you know, the healthcare is good, especially if you're in downtown Toronto. But it can be pretty limited if you're out, if you if you're outside of that. So anyway, I mean that's you know, that that's a bad example that I just gave you, but I had lots of examples of that where I was the one, I was the one managing this stuff. And I described ER, my years of ER, I described to people as it was an amazing job and a terrible career for me. I learned a lot about humanity. I learned a lot about, um, you know, like they call it like the difficult patient, which I hate that term. But I learned a lot about like when people are in a bad state they behave in certain ways. And I learned how to deal with those people. So now, like in my practice, like, oh, you're good at dealing with difficult patients. I'm good at dealing with people Mm -hmm. because people come from a lot of, you know, people have economic hardships and they're in pain and and it's gonna make them behave in different ways. You know, some people can be in pain and agony and they're like, oh, hi, how are you today? And you know, yes, my leg is broken, but how are you? (laughs) But you know, but, but not everybody's gonna be like that, right? And, and so ER taught me a lot about dealing with people, um, you know, getting tough, doing good, doing lots of procedures. I got really good at doing procedures, um, but I knew I didn't want to do it when I was, you know, like I just turned 50. I didn't, I, I didn't want to do it when I was 50. It wasn't for me. I know there's a lot of career ER docs out there, but for me, the other thing is, is I was doing it like 20 nights a month. So I was on a track to burnout because of my schedule because of the intensity of where I was working and because of my personality that I didn't want to be up at night. And I also as a medical student loved the the variety and not knowing what was coming in as an adult, when it's my license on the line, I increasingly didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I get anxiety. If I knew like, oh, like I remember towards the end of my ER career, knowing I was going to do dermatology, I remember there was a house fire where like a, a woman and her daughter jumped out of the third floor because they didn't want to get burned and jumped and they had like fractures and everything. And I remember this coming in and having all this anxiety, like, oh, like how are they gonna, you know? And I just didn't, it's just, it just wasn't for me. Like there's adrenaline junkies that love that, but you know, for me, and especially because in the situations I was in, I it wasn't always part of a team, it was often, me managing that it, it just wasn't the way i wanted to live my life um going forward so i i was lucky i i had a re-entry track and um and so how it works in canada is first you get the funding so you had to convince the government to train another dermatologist that took about a year and a half or so and then um you take that funding and and um there was two programs. There's University of Ottawa had a dermatology program, University of Toronto. University of Toronto was like a world-class dermatology program. Um, so I got into Ottawa first, and I kind of was like, well, I'm not so sure, because I was waiting to get into Toronto. And then I got into Toronto, and it was kind of like a no-brainer. I mean, I'm going to go to U of T to do dermatology. Knowing, by the way, that there was most surgery, um, and because I loved procedures in the ER, I pretty much knew from day one, I was going to do Mohs
1: surgery. Hmm. So when then, so you, how long is, is after you've done this re-entry track?
2: So normally Derm is two years of internal medicine or primary care and three years of Derm, but because I had done the two, it was just three years of Derm. So it's the same as in America, mm-hmm. except in America, Derm is one transitional year plus three of Derm. So anybody who trains for Derm in America usually has to do an extra year of internal medicine in Canada to sit for the Royal College exam. Um, and so anyway, so Durham's three years. So I did three years of Durham and then applied into the San Francisco match for Moe's and matched into Seattle. And that's how I ended up in the US.
1: So that this is just a little point of kind of interest here. So as a Canadian physician, the San Francisco match, which is this, this sort of like that specialized match for certain certain yep. programs you you can transition into that no problem ask there's like no other steps other than just
2: oh yeah coming coming from it's it's actually a it's a pretty easy process to go from canada to america it's not as easy to make the reverse jump Mm -hmm. because canada often has extra years like for me for derm it's five years to write the royal college most american dermatologists have four so Like when I was training, there was a guy who had trained in Michigan, um, in Durham. He was doing an extra year of internal medicine so he could sit for the Royal College exam. Then I will also talk about the exam. The Royal College exam in dermatology is difficult. It's one day of written, not multiple choice, written. I mean, they have like a question at the top of the page, a sentence, and a blank piece of paper. It could be like, draw the porphyria pathway and explain its relevance to PCT. It's written, it's written. So the first day is written. I mean writing, not no multiple choice, no true or false, writing. If you don't know how to spell it, it's wrong, right? So that's day one. Day two is an oral exam. So like you'll be looking at microscope slides and then like a world expert in dermatopathology walks in the room and says, tell me about the slides and starts to quiz you on it. And it can go anywhere. You know, I mean, if you bring up methotrexate, they'll say, oh, you brought up methotrexate what's the mechanism of action of methotrexate? Oh, okay. do you know any? Do you know any case reports around toxicity in this population? And oh, I mean, there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. It's brutally
1: difficult. Wow. And How so long was the oral part then? Was it was a it, day? The full day was oral? I mean, pretty much,
2: pretty much. My recollection was, it felt like a week. But you know, maybe I don't know, it was a few, it was definitely more than a few hours so the my so the American so so canadians when we go write the american board of dermatology exam i mean i'm i'm just going to be honest it's a joke hmm. i didn't even really study i wrote my so i wrote the american board i had thought i was going back to canada to practice most so i didn't have american board exam but i was acg me so yeah i did i did my fellowship and then when i knew i was going to stay in the states i wrote the american board exam that summer right i mean I, this sounds obnoxious i didn't even study really <laughs> Because it was like, I mean, I had so much knowledge from training in Canada. You know, the University of Toronto-Derm did such an amazing job training me. Um, it was so rigorous. And we had, a, we, had, we had some failures when I was a junior in the Royal College exam, and it really lit a fire under me and my my coachy Devendra, to say, hey, we're not gonna have staff teachers, we're gonna teach ourselves and so that was another point in my life where it was like oh my gosh like i could fail the Royal college exam i've come back to train and i could fail that exam i am not failing that exam there is going to be a zero percent chance i fail that exam and the only way going back to my trigonometry example the only way i know i will pass that exam is if i take control of my learning okay. and so you know davindra and i like outlined a curriculum and and really took it on ourselves like we were going to hammer these concepts, and we are going to leave nothing to chance that we are going to pass that exam.
0: Man, you, you definitely, there's so many uh, podcasts, Kevin, we could think of like the dog of determination, the self-initiative, this love for learning, this, all these things. So um, to stay on track, because um, I can go on a tangent too, um, with being in Durham now, so how long have you been doing Durham at this point? Like what year was it you were officially doing DERM?
2: So I was doing, I went back to dermatology in 2004, summer. So July, 2004, I started dermatology. Okay. Uh, My last ER shift was June 17th, 2004. Not that I remember the day fondly, but I do remember walking out and I walked down a hill and I could see my car and I remember them saying like, oh, maybe you'll come back in moonlight. And I said, yeah, maybe. And I walked out and the sun hit, it was like seven o'clock in the morning because I had done a night and the sun hit my face and it was warm. And I thought, and I breathed in there and I thought, I'm never going back again.
0: (laughs) That was awesome. So, so with, I mean, you have such an awareness and, and good memory of a lot of things that really stuck with you over the years. You know, after you started the derm, I mean, I know you have multiple layers to you when was this next layer of, or has it just been derm? I mean, I know Kevin knows you a lot better than I do, but
1: well, we have to get yeah. to the mo's part. Cause so you're 2007, you must've finished derm. So 2007 I um, finished, but like
2: day one, you know, I love procedures. The thing I did love about ER was procedures. Like I loved reducing Collies fractures, which I know would have been more ortho, but I loved all procedures like lacerations and stuff. And so I knew like pretty much day one, I knew I wanted to do Mohs, So the two most surgeons were Christian Murray and Noel Solish, who I still know well, um, and are great, really great guys. And if you're listening, hi. But, um, <laughs> but um, you know, I mean, I pretty much came out to them in the beginning. I was like, you know, like psoriasis and atopic, that's not not really my bag. Um, yeah, I'd really rather do Mo's. And so they knew that. And so I did a lot of research with them. We published, I don't know how many papers now, but, you know, a few. Um, and so they knew I liked it. Uh, everybody knew I was pretty much open about that, that I wanted to do it, even though I knew there was not a great chance of getting in because there's the match. Um, and so, yeah, I was like a Moe's Keener it, um, for those three years. And so then I matched, the match happens in like, I think November of my senior year. So November of 2006, um, I would have matched in to Seattle. Um, And I actually, so, I mean, this could get really deep here, but anyway, I came on a J visa thinking I was going to go back and be the mo surgeon in Ottawa. Um, But then a lot of stuff happened in Ottawa, and I won't get into all that, but effectively halfway through, I didn't really have a job in Ottawa. Uh, There's a lot of political, Canadian medicine can be very political, by the way. And so I'm scrambling. And, but I was on a JVs, and so I had to practice somewhere that was underserviced. So they offered me a job at UW, but I couldn't take it. I mean, King County is not underserviced. And um, and so anyway, I looked at different states. We looked at going to, to Green Bay, Wisconsin. But there was a practice here in Oregon. My current practice had a practice in Woodburn, and Woodburn, Oregon, is underserviced. And so anyway, it turns out that... Um, I mean, there's a story behind this as well, but I ended up in Oregon um, because I needed to go to a place where, because I came on a visa that would have made me go back to Canada for two years. And to get out of that, I needed to go somewhere underserviced. And so, so anyway, $25,000 of legal bills later, I'm, I'm I, at the time I lived in Salem, Oregon, and now I live in, in Corvallis, Oregon. Um, um, but yeah, so I did my Moes Fellowship in Seattle and then ended up here in Oregon.
1: Wow. All right. So again, um, so many things. And I'm already going to set the stage here, Bill, and just say we're going to have you back on another episode. Okay. We already have another episode planned. Another one after that, because like Melissa said, there's so much to do. But I think this is good for episode number one. Um, so as we end... And then we're going to prepare for, for the second stage of Doctor Lear's career path here. Where can they find you now? If if, if the listeners are interested in, in learning, maybe contacting you, hearing about your 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 path, and maybe there's someone who's doing these. There's a physician out there who's doing some of these these changes. How could they? Where can they find you on the interwebs?
2: Well, well, and in, pod, in podcast too. You'll learn about Suture Guard, and so I'm on I'm on suit I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably the best you know, way to, to connect with me. So you could direct message me on, on LinkedIn. Um, and, if, and if people want to email me, they could probably email me probably best at Bill at sutureguard.com. Um, and I, I'm on Instagram. I don't totally, in full disclosure, I don't totally fully understand how Instagram works. Um, and um, I'm. Very rare. I'm, I don't go a lot on Facebook. I'm mostly on LinkedIn because that's a big platform for suture guard.
1: All right. All right. So, folks, stay cl- so here for episode two coming up. And then, Melissa, you want to take us out?
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Bill, for, for joining us on the Change Physician podcast. It was a pleasure and looking forward to the next episode. I am Melissa Katie, the Challenge Doctor, with my co host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro. If you don't know what the Change Position is all about, you can always go to thechangephysician.com, join our community there, learn more about us. Whether you're a physician or a physician ally, we'd love to have you in the community. And of course, check out our podcast episodes, including YouTube and all the typical podcast venues. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook as well. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Take care.